electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. John Ford, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center, the great give back. Stocks plunging this hour, yields are surging, and the investment committee is with me today to try and make sense of it, along with senior economics reporter Steve Leisman. See the gang here today. Josh Brown, Kerry Firestone, Surat Sethi, Pete Najarian is the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. We can show you where the market is now. It's ugly. 1166, 1161. That's the decline in the Dow right now. It's almost three and a half percent. S&P is down by just about four percent and the Nasdaq five percent. Why? Well, in large part, because all the way on the right hand side of your screen, bond yields are screaming higher today. 308 is the yield on the 10 year note right now was about 310. Josh, so that, that's where the whole story lies right now, is the move in yields and the dump back in, in stocks. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's accurate. You're, you're in a situation now where investors are looking at their portfolios, they're looking at what's been working and, and what's not. And the only thing that's been working this year is cash. Even short-term bonds have, have been very, very treacherous. So you're seeing people just basically throw in the towel. And I think a, a back-to-back situation like what we've had, and yesterday I was on uh, overtime with you, and the question was, will there be follow-through? And I said, if, if, only if big tech decides to show up and follow through. There's no hope for anything else if that doesn't happen. And today, big tech is leading us down. So this is what a bear market rally looks like. We've been talking about it for weeks and weeks now. This is the essence of that. A day like yesterday, you want to say, okay, that was it. It's all clear. But truly, in a bull market, you don't have plus thousand point days. This is, uh, we talked about the, the 50 best and worst days for the market in history. 47 of those 50 took place while the S&P 500 was below its 200-day moving average. So the only real way to survive this is to not allow your emotions to, to swing back and forth. Despondency one day, euphoria the next day. You've got to control yourself. You have no control over what's happening in the markets. The only thing you can control is how you're going to react to it or not react to it. This is the essence of 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 managing money uh and warren buffett talks about this all the time investing is not a game where the guy with 160 iq beats the guy with 130. it's about temperament temperament is a superpower as an investor and on a day like today that is the most important thing to keep front of mind pete um the move lower in technology in the nasdaq is nothing short of stunning you take a look throw it back yes. up guys, um, because we're at the lows of the day for the Nasdaq. Yes, we're at the lows of the day for the overall market, too. And it's a loss of nearly 1,200 points for the Dow Jones Industrial Average. But what's happening in the Nasdaq is a stunner. Names like Microsoft uh, down almost 15 bucks. It's a loss of of 5%. Look at Apple, uh, for example. Some of the very stocks that Josh said yesterday are the ones that need to hold up. 
the ones you need to watch closer than everything else to find out if the rally had legs. Here's exactly the story. Apple's down 5%. So we're approaching some of those levels that were key lines in the sand, Pete. What are you watching today most yeah. specifically? Well, I think those names, obviously, are the ones that are going to attract our attention right away. I think the reality is this is a very solid, just like we've seen when we've had these big moves to the upside, everybody seems to participate. We see the same thing on these moves to the downside. Seems like everywhere they're, they're participating. Energy was the one area that we had a little bit of strength early on as the price of crude was up there at 110. But other than that, it, it literally is just everybody, to Josh's point, it's almost as if they're like, you know what, I'm tapping out, I'm selling, and I'm putting my palms to the outside. And, and that's what it feels like right now. We started to see that momentum just in the first hour of trade, and then it even accelerated even more so. When we're looking at the Dow down 1,100 points, shoot, last Friday we were down, what, 935 points, and then all of a sudden we bounced back yesterday with a 920-point rally. This is a wild time. We had a 36 volatility index measurement when we were looking at Monday. Then we got underneath 30 in a hurry. Then yesterday we got down towards 25, and here we are right back there towards 32 on the volatility index. So it gives you an idea. This is a, you know, John and I always bring this up. This, the velocity of the move is as important as almost anything. Volumes are there, yes. Volatility is there, yes. But the velocity of these moves is absolutely stunning how fast people are running for you know, whatever they consider to be safety. And I'm not sure where they're going to be running to other than cash, as Josh and I know others have talked about. But it really is just an amazing selling that we are seeing right now, Scott. Doesn't mean that I don't think there are opportunities out there because I think that there are. But that's why each and every time that I've come on over the last couple of weeks and the producers ask me, hey, are you buying something? The answer has been, for the most part, no. The only stock that I've added in the last couple of months was Goldman Sachs, and I've, I've done okay with that one. I still like it. I like what we're able to do with it. I like the company, but it makes it a lot more difficult when you've got your list out and you can see everything around it just crumbling. It means that you've got a little bit more time to kind of sit back and wait and be a little bit more patient. Yeah, you know, Leesman, um, you were the man of the hour yesterday, right? You asked a question to the Fed share. He answered it, and stocks ripped. And now as one money manager, ask it know, again, as well, yeah, get him on the line, please. As one money manager um, said to me, the bond market is telling the Fed chair you're wrong and you need to be more aggressive to fight inflation. And if you're not, we're going to do it for you. And that's what's happening today in the bond market, which is dictating the shots. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Uh, it is interesting. Uh, take a quick look at the two year versus the 10 year. Uh, and I think that'll tell your story, Scott. If you look at what's happened. Uh, Powell looks to have done perhaps what he wanted to do, which is to get control of the near-term outlook for rates. Uh, when I look at the Fed funds uh, futures, Scott, for example, the uh, pricing through June and July is pretty much where it was. So look, you can look at that. There's that deep decline there right in the middle of the day uh, on the two-year, but it hasn't really come back as much. But look at what the 10-year is doing. It's screaming. So that's long, an easy way, not the most precise way to look at long versus short term. So what's happened is, is, is the market is now priced for what Powell told us, which is 50s through uh, July. Uh, and then it's later on, if you guys go to that next chart that I prepared here, you'll see that they start to really get excited. If you look at August, sorry, there's January 285. August 341. Those are all higher than yesterday before Powell spoke. So you're right, Scott. I think maybe the metaphor here is Powell sat on one end of the balloon and ended up making the other end of the balloon. And, and there's an actual uh, forecast in that. If you look at uh, Aneta Markowska from Jeffrey, she said 
She heard Powell do what, uh, you know, uh, take 75 off the table. So she raised her peak outlook for the Fed funds rate to four and a quarter. Right. But why would he do it? Why would he do it? And the most obvious answer, Steve, is that he's afraid of destroying the stock market. He's afraid. He's afraid of going too hard and ruining the economy and crashing the stock market beyond what what they've already done to it by virtue you know, of, of where their policy is in and of in and of itself. Yeah. So I I actually have some sympathy for what he did. And I'll tell you why, because I think that the Fed had ratcheted up what it was telling the markets it was going to do. And there was no limitation or structure around it. I think yesterday he put structure around it that said, you know what, we're going to go pretty fast to a neutral rate um, and we'll go beyond neutral if we have to. But that's not a call that we have to make right now because there are a whole bunch of inflation reports and jobs reports and other economic data coming our way. Um, I think he did it because, uh, yes, he doesn't necessarily want to see the stock market crash. He doesn't want to see the bond market start to gap out and wants to see some order in that. I guess he didn't get that today. But I think that makes sense, Scott. There was no essential upside. They did it, by the way. They put high limitations on running off the balance sheet, but there are indeed limitations. But the Fed, let's finish one last thought, yeah, Scott. Yeah, yeah. The Fed is asking the market to digest a lot. 50 basis point rate hikes hasn't done it in two decades. $95 billion in runoff beginning in September, ramping up to that level. I think Powell is being cautious here and maybe even prudent in the sense that, here, do this now. If we need to do more, we'll do more. But let's put a cap on this for now. But I know, but the market already didn't believe him. He, they already didn't believe that what they were going to do was enough. Why, why would he put himself in a box by all but committing to 50 at the next two meetings? Who know? I mean, we, we need to get CPI prints. We need to figure out exactly what's going on. Sure. with the. Why would he do that? What, what, do what? He told us you were going to do 350s. I mean, that's not exactly dovish. You're not arguing no, that's dovish, are you, Scott? No, but he could have. I mean, why don't you just say, look, we're doing 50 now, and then we're going to see. And it's going to be meeting to meeting. Okay. Why do you okay. need to put right, yourself Scott, in a now, box hold, and hold say on. 50 are and you, then 50? Are you arguing that we would be in a better place right now if the headlines today read, Powell refuses to rule out 75? Maybe we would have Is ripped, that your argument? Maybe we would have ripped because the band off yesterday. Think, maybe we would think, have ripped it off yesterday instead of today. I don't know. We can have that counterfactual argument. I, I, I would take the other side of it, my good friend. I honestly don't know what, what, the, what the answer <laughs> would be. But I just don't know why he pins himself down. The market obviously doesn't believe it's enough. The, the bond market's today, sitting back and laughing at him. Today, I don't know about tomorrow. Yesterday it did. Oh, but that was one day. But the bond market's been calling the shots lately, right? They, the bond right. market's been right. moving right. to a place the Fed share wasn't willing right. to go and, to. And, and let me just give you one other piece of information I think is relevant here. Bank of England, did you see what they did with their inflation report? They went from 5% to 10%. And they also forecast negative growth. And you've got uh, Bank of England guy saying he doesn't want to say stagflation, but it's kind of stagflation. Yeah. Stay, stay with us, um, Steve. Kerry, sure. Kerry um, what's, your, what's your view here? Uh, well, we've, uh, we, we've already seen a lot of damage in the market, and I'm not going to sugarcoat this at all. This is um, a, a bear market for the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ is down 25% roughly. It's given up $7 trillion of value from uh, the middle of November. $7 trillion. That's a third of the level of GDP of the United States. Um, so we've had a lot of destruction in, in value, and the S&P has given up 13% now. 
So where do we find a bottom is, is the question. At what level are we comfortable buying? I know. What's buying? the answer, though? Is there something? Wait, what, what is the so, answer? So I, I would say, well, so I would say the following things are important to look at. If this quarter, and, and I'm not saying one should be bullish right now, but you have to begin to think about what are the price levels that we can uh, accept and feel are attractive enough to you know, plunge or, or even dip a toe in. If the second quarter is the worst quarter for comparisons, this one that we're in right now, and you have stocks that are that are down 30 percent, 40 percent, 50 percent, whose earnings you feel pretty certain about for the rest of the year or into 2023, and a lot of that bad news is discounted, then I think it's important to look at those and say, okay, selling for 15 times earnings that was selling Here's for the problem. 30 times earnings before. Here's the problem. I'm sorry to interrupt yeah. you. Here's the problem. Are okay. anybody's earnings predictable to a point at this point? We yeah, don't really some, know. Yeah, That's the problem. Are. Who? Well, I'll, I'll give you an example. Waste connection or the waste companies, right? They got to pick up trash. They have inflation clauses in their contracts. Municipalities are not going to just shut off their waste collection. So there are some companies and industries that are better at predicting than others. So, you know, you have to look at um, the spectrum and healthcare. There are healthcare names that haven't moved for two years or three years. There's pent up demand. You, you have to think that surgical procedures are going to happen, that people need their valves changed. They need Medtronic. They need, um, you know, the, the Beckton Dickinson. I, I'm just telling you that there are obviously companies and industries that, that have more protection I, than than others. So that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to do. And it's not about saying this is the bottom or today or yesterday. Uh, you have to think about where we are, relative value, what it looks like for comparative uh, Judge, earnings I'm, and and when inflation will well, hold on start. Josh because I haven't heard from Surratt yet I'm comforted Terry telling me I have to look through the literal garbage to find stocks to buy yeah <laughs> literally <laughs> you can that's that's the kind of day it is you ask, gloves, man. You ask. Surratt, <laughs> Surratt <laughs> talk to me Look, I think Josh, uh, you know, started off talking, I mean, basically it's behavioral finance 101. Uh, we're in this period where it doesn't really make sense to get euphoric or get, you know, just despondent. Uh, the markets today, like you said, Scott, are, are taking the cue from the bond market. And today the bond market saying, hey, things, inflation is here to stay. Uh, we don't know how, how it's going to affect growth. And, you know, this is a time where uh, markets are going to move a lot. And, and, and whether they go up on Monday or Tuesday, we don't know. But the idea is to hold on to good companies and companies that you can see through, just like we did two years ago. Kind of, You've got this trough coming with earnings. Uh, we don't know how low they're going to go. But if you've got companies that in the next uh, year, year and a half, that solid balance sheets can grow, those are coming off sale. And, and to Carrie's point, I mean, you look at companies that were, you know, cash flow companies that were selling it 20 times are now selling it. 12, 13, 14. So uh, I wouldn't sell at these levels. And, you know, there are some opportunities here and there to buy. I mean, uh, if you've got excess cash on the my, side. My, my part of my point, Josh, is that unless you're in, you know, may, I don't know, an airline, a hotel where you know where the money's coming in because people are getting out this summer, I think it's going to, it's incredibly difficult to predict where earnings are going to be moving forward uh, for almost every company. I mean, Apple can't even tell you. I mean, I guess, you know, Delta yeah, listen, Airlines or someone the, like that can listen, tell you, the, but we don't know. The, the people that focus on fundamentals cannot, with, with 
cannot, with a straight face, look you in the eye and tell you that based on fundamentals, they can tell you where the market's going to bottom. I, I was talking to Yuri and Timmer, the head of global, uh, global macro research for Fidelity. Uh, his take is, we started the year 21 times earnings uh, forward, now we're 18 times, and probably 15 is appropriate, just given interest rates, uh, prevailing bond yields, et cetera. So let's say that's what you think, right? Let's say that's your base case is, I don't know what the right forward multiple is, but it's probably not 18, given all the headwinds we face and the fact that the cost of capital is going up and rate, uh, interest rates, which are, <coughs> interest rates are to stocks and bonds uh, what gravity is to matter, right? So like if, if that's your base case, that whatever it is, the multiple has to go lower, then you ask the second question, okay, fine, but will earnings growth partially at least offset uh, some of that multiple compression? And the answer is probably yes. Not for a great reason, though. As I've said on the show, it's like an optical illusion. Company comes out and says, hey, look, uh, revenue is up 20% this year. A lot of that is because prices are up 20%. So yes, in nominal terms, revenue is up and earnings are up. But again, it's, it's not for a great reason. So you're going to have some offset in terms of earnings and revenue growth. You can't pinpoint how much. It's always a moving target especially when you consider the fact that your cost of doing business is going up in this environment. All of the raw goods that you have to purchase, all of the labor that you have to bring on, you have no choice. I have 50 employees, you could take my word for it. So what's the right answer as an investor? The right answer from our perspective is if you can't go by fundamentals or guessing where the bottom is for earnings, you can only, if you're trying to be at all tactical, you can only rely on price. You can only rely on technicals. So here's what I would tell you. We're in a, a defined downtrend for the NASDAQ for a while now, okay? So tactically, if you're obeying anything like a 10-month moving average or a 200-day moving average or an eight-month, whatever your Whatever the way that you do tactical, if you're at all rules-based, and we run our hours rules-based, you're not in NASDAQ, in that part of your portfolio. Now the S&P joins the party to the downside. I told you, at the end of April, looks like we're going to finish this month below the 200-day, below the 10-month. You might think those are just uh, squiggly lines drawn on a chart randomly, but I can tell you, um, price has memory. And people remember what price they own something, what okay. price they don't own it, where they're trapped in a stock. Price is meaningful, okay? So now you're in a, a defined downtrend for the S&P 500 with oh, probably next month a negatively sloping uh, uh, moving average, mm -hmm. which makes it even worse. So if you're doing this in a rules-based tactical way, um, you have some semblance of an answer. How much exposure to the market do I want to have right now? If you're not... And if your process is, I turn on TV and one guy, you know, Druckenmiller's bearish and then the next day I turn it on and this one's bullish, good luck. I don't know what to tell you. Okay. Because you, what that's going to do is it's going to have you second guess every move that you make and flitting back and forth between I'm bullish, I'm bearish. You're, you're, you're a done deal. Okay. So I don't recommend that. All right. Uh, and, and that's where we are right now. Okay. I'm moving the ball. Uh, Brian Belsky, uh, our headliner today, is with us too from BMO. So you said um, that stocks were going to rally on Wednesday um, the last time you were on. And you were obviously right. But I don't recall you telling me that they were going to plunge then on Thursday. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. 
which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Well, the stock market is the world's most humbling instrument, Scott, and uh, assets are obviously, a broken clock is right twice a day, the bulls were right yesterday and the, and the bears were right today. Uh, I agree with almost everything that's been said here today. A lot of people don't remember, but you know, 32 years ago when I started in this business, I was a technician, and I learned the business from William O'Neill at Investors Daily. <clears throat> and we're, we're trying to catch a falling knife here a, a little bit. And, uh, but I do disagree with Josh a little bit. I do think that you can make some fundamental decisions when you're looking at broader fundamental data like free cash flow and operating performance and balance sheets. I think the market is now turning into being indiscriminately selling everything, and uh, correlations obviously are, are one up on the, uh, one on the upside, one on the downside. So now we're starting to create great opportunities, and I think you need to start to to, to distinguish between secular, structural, and cyclical uh, across every sector. Scott, it, are you going to be loading up on Apple and, and Microsoft here? Or are you going to be starting to question Meta? Or are you going to start questioning some of the semiconductors? That's just technology. You can follow that pro process and discipline across every single sector. I still believe that, that concentrated portfolios is the way to be. You're going to live by the sword and die by the sword. You, you live by it yesterday and you, you died by it today. But this is about fundamental process and discipline coming the week after the great Warren Buffett's uh, annual meeting. So we should all kind of harden to what he was saying over the weekend. So. As humbling as the markets can be for everybody, not enough to get you off of 5,300, though, on the S&P 500, right? Why? Well, why? Simple. Why? Why? Simple. Why? <laughs> well, you saw that yesterday's reaction in the binary nature of markets, yesterday and today. I still think we can see a binary event that'll shock people to the upside, uh, but it's all about price. We need to kind of flush out some of this every other day negativity, positivity. And like I said on Monday, we could see a positive result to the war. We could see a positive result to inflation. Mr. Paul said himself, we're not going to use one month. We're going to see a couple of months. The way that the Fed has operated, he's been very clear, as Leisman said, 50-50-50. And then we don't have a meeting until September. Between uh, July and September, we could see a pretty decent fall off in inflation, which other Fed members are actually saying. And so the bond market's telling you that the Fed is wrong. And don't fight the Fed. And I, I think the bond market's actually being disrespectful 
to the Fed. The Fed is the, the Fed's the smartest person in the room. Disrespectful. I'm going to stick with the Fed. Disrespectful. Yeah. How, how are they the smartest people in the room? I mean, inflation was screaming in their face and they ignored it. Well, how are they the smartest people in the room? Well, I don't agree. I don't. They're the smartest people in the room because think about what they did in March of 2020 for this country and for the rest of the world in terms of the liquidity, Scott. They did what one. anybody would have Num- done. Number two. No, we have we didn't do it before in 2008. We we made mistakes in in 2000. We made mistakes in 1994. We, we learned made mistakes from those mistakes, right? They they're we, smart we, enough to have learned from the mistakes. But so but they, the did what they, market, they did what anybody would have done. The bond market is not the bond market is is misjudging the Fed. The bond market is is I think the bond market is ahead of its skis here. I really do. And if you li- if you listen to other very smart fixed income investors, they're telling you that the fixed income market is massively oversold, Scott. And so if if the if if the Fed came out and said that the neutrality rate is somewhere between two and three percent, we're already there in the ten-year Treasury. And what if the market is not thinking about anything I said in the second half? What if inflation rolls over? And if inflation rolls over, this market is going to rip to the rolls upside. Over. Steve Leisman, your, your reaction to what, what you hear from Brian? So I'm going to uh, incorporate a little bit of what I heard from Josh Brown, who I think has a really smart point, which is that I find it very difficult right now to think about the fundamentals, which is all I ever think about because I don't either do or know technicals. Um, I find it very hard to make a judgment on how all this comes out. I think Brian has an excellent point, which, by the way, is a uh, one of the ideas that the Fed came out. And Powell was more firm on this yesterday, this idea that we could have a soft landing, this idea that maybe we're somewhere Soft-ish. near a pink on inflation. Soft land. Fair enough. Fair enough. But the idea that things could be OK and the idea that the bond market could have it wrong. For example, I would say the market had this idea of 75 basis points wrong. Um, I was on this show of the week of 420 or so, um, and I came on. I said, you know what? 75 is probably not going to happen. And Powell affirmed that yesterday, uh, and the market was priced. And now the market, by the way, has beaten that back. The market no longer has that 75 priced in. It's actually debating as to some 25s uh, coming up in the near future, whereas it's gotten more excited down the road. So I think there is a chance. Look, it's well to remember, Scott, I know how passionate you are about all this. But there should be a little bit of humility. We're coming out of a crisis here uh, of COVID. We have another crisis of a Ukraine war. There is no template or blueprint for what we're going through right now. Yeah. I, I have a lot of sympathy for the money managers out there that are trying to talk to their clients and say, well, this is what's going to happen. Well, guess what? We don't know. You can't go back to 1918 and the Spanish flu. Uh, and you can't go back to almost anything and say this is the analog because we have incredible economic forces at play here on the positive side. Low unemployment, a million and a half new people employed. Uh, you have business investment that's almost near double digits right now. You're going to have a pretty strong second quarter. And then you have this inflation problem. So it's not a one-sided problem. It's a difficult forecast to make. If you want to go uh, follow Josh down the um, down the road of the technicals, maybe that's the best thing. Me, I'm just staying pat, watching the wheels go round Look, and round. I don't disagree with anything you said, and I'm just trying to foster a decent debate. You do a great the, job, Scott. I love have, the passion. Okay? I love the passion. Um, but I think it's fair to say, before we give out cupcakes and roses to the Fed, <laughs> that... They had the inflation all wrong. They didn't get it right. I mean, that's right. It's one of the reasons why we find ourselves in this position in the first place. 
And I think we can all be honest about that. And Jay Powell is honest about it, too, because he said as much. So, Josh Brown, you, you wanted to get in before. You can get in now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were I say colloquially, we, like the stock market uh, strategists, we were baffled watching the Fed continue to buy uh, mortgage bonds month after month after month with home prices up 20% year over year. It made no sense. What are we trying to do? Are we shooting for 25%? And, and in what way is that helpful for the economy to lock out first-time home buyers? How, like, who is, who is being aided by that activity? None of it made sense starting from last summer. You got a NASDAQ at 16,000, 17,000, and the Fed is, is buying treasuries? What on earth is the purpose of this? So I think Wall Street has been onto uh, the ridiculousness of this for quite a while. For quite a while. And remember, the consensus expectations for 2022 rate hikes, as recently as September, were one rate hike. In December, it was three. Now we're talking about 10. So this has been, this has been outrageous for a long time. But the, I want to give people some hope here. Here's the silver lining. First of all, there are 73 million millennials in America who are forced buyers of stocks for at least the next 30 years, in a 401k, whatever. They have no choice but to buy. Uh, potential returns go up when the market acts this way, okay? So if you know that you're getting a paycheck every two weeks and a portion of that is going into mutual funds, this is not hurting you. You can't touch that money anyway. For, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be taxed into the Stone Age. So actually, you're buying stocks lower. It's not better to buy all-time highs. I promise you that. You don't want to take your parents out of their stocks at, at record prices every day. So number one, this is not bad for, it's not universally bad for stocks to be down, stocks to be volatile. And then the last thing I want to say very quickly, the Fed has no control over the inflation. They can control the demand situation and the mechanism by which they do that is, is, uh, is affecting financial markets, financial conditions. Financial conditions this year are absolutely horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. And it looks like they're going to start getting worse. But the good news is that that starts to work its way through the economy. The wealth effect is a huge driver of how much we're willing to pay for things. So you are going to have inflation roll over. We're not going to compound at 8% inflation month after month after month. So the seeds of the recovery are being planted on days like today when everybody feels a little bit less wealthy and everybody feels a little bit less willing to go out and spend top dollar on X, Y, and Z. So the process is going to work. You, you're just not guaranteed to enjoy it while that plays out. <laughs> so Pete Jerry, who began the show by saying, you know, the producers ask you a lot, and we ask everybody who comes on, what are you doing in the market? What are you buying? What are you selling? And it's hard to, to find things that you find attractive. Are you finding anything like that literally looks like, okay, it's come down enough, the VIX is eased enough that you're saying, okay, we're, we're close enough to a bottom that at least on a shorter term basis, whereas really where you make your bread and butter looks decent enough mm -hmm. to do? Well, the only one that I've come up with in the last couple of months is Goldman Sachs, and that one's worked per perfectly fine for me because basically, Scott, the stock hasn't done a whole lot, but that's okay for me because of the implied volatilities that we've got and the volatility index itself where it's trading. You're getting huge premiums to sell against those positions called a buy right. It's the most common thing used in the options world is the buy right. So 
There, that was the only one that I found of late. But it does, you know, I think I heard somebody, I don't know if it was Josh or, or somebody brought up fundamentals. Fundamentals do matter. Here's, here's why I say that. Not when Josh. you look at the NASDAQ and what, who was it? Uh, I don't know, whoever it was. Uh, but fundamentals really do matter. And here's why. When you've got multiples, like we've been talking about, Scott, and you've got, you've heard me say this for over a year and a half now, but when you listen and you look and you see triple and quadruple digit multiples or no multiple at all those are the names that are dragging on things right now those are the names that are absolutely getting slapped into this market and getting pushed to the downside take a look at names like snowflake take a look at a lot of these the crowd strike all of these names the multiple is part of the problem and when you see those stocks where they were where they are how much they've been cut Yes, you're still seeing some push to the downside from Apple, from Microsoft, from Facebook, from a lot of those big names that we had talked about for a long time, Jim Craber's FANG stocks. But then there's the expansion of those FANG stocks. But the reality is that when you've got all those high multiple, no multiple names are coming down, that's been the cascading effect that we're seeing. And that's part of the issue, obviously, for, poor, for, for Kathy Wood because she's got a lot of these in a, in a lot of these different funds where you've got these higher no multiple names that are packaged into there. And so when, I, when you ask me a question, do I see things? I think fundamentals do matter. I do look at a lot of different stocks. I haven't found others that I want to jump in yet. And well, the problem has been, as I'm, as I'm looking at them, I'm seeing the rest of the world and what we're talking about right now. Obviously, Fed is, is first at hand right now that we're looking at. But all of that comes into the factor. Still have to think about Russia. Still have to think about China and the lockdowns and China. What if they do with Taiwan? There are a, a, a myriad of things right now that are influencing these markets. Okay. No doubt about that. That's why I think fundamentally it's tough to actually even step into some of the quality names. So I, I think the broader point, Kerry, to you know, the point Pete's making, it's not that fundamentals don't matter. Fundamentals always matter. The problem is you don't have a great handle on the fundamentals now. So you can't just buy based on the fundamentals. That's the spirit of the argument. What looks to be a great fundamental story may not be tomorrow. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. It may not be next month because you can't predict what's going to happen by virtue of the tightening of financial conditions, the slowing of the economy. What looked great may not be great. 
And in part, it's the technicals, as Josh said, that have been driving things. And maybe you have to rely on more than you ever have before, because the other part of the equation can't be trusted. Carrie, I think that's the bigger point here. Well, we can't predict, obviously, next quarter or the quarter after because of all the factors that Pete just raised. If we look beyond that, if you look at Johnson & Johnson, or you look at Coke, or you look at Microsoft, and you have a sense of what 2023, or a post-crisis, let's say we call this that peak of interest rates going higher and the peak of inflation, you look beyond that, I think you can do a fair amount of uh, analysis, and companies do it for you. They, they help you with that. And so that guidance informs what you think about fundamentals. So yes, I, I think you can look at next year. What you have to be aware of is that there is a range, that if you thought the company was going to earn $2 next year, and I'm not talking about names that have been trading at uh, you know 100 PE or have had real problems with this market, but if that range is going to be a 25, 30%, you have to take that into account. But the market's been doing that for you in the drop in, in the PE ratio. I would say uh, to the point that people have been saying, what, what's going on here? One factor is, you know, the Russell is rebalancing. And the Russell 1,000, 2,000, and 3,000 over the next six weeks, they're going to change the components. And because the market has moved so much, particularly in the, with the 2,000, uh, you know, small cap growth on the Russell is down 43% um, year to date. I mean, that's pretty crazy. Uh, the, the value is down only 27%, but still huge. And Russell is going to be moving names out, moving names in. And those ETFs that trade with, on, on, on the Russell indices are going to have to do a lot of moving and perhaps are doing some, you know, this week or last week in anticipation of what's going to start happening tomorrow. So, uh, so Steve. I, I don't think tiny. Steve, I mean. They're tiny. We're talking about fundamentals, right? I, they're not. The, the, yeah. the issue is, you know, it's hard to trust the fundamentals. Um, there's no confidence in the outlook. And if you combine that with a lack of confidence, for better or worse, in the Fed, you find yourself in the swamp. And that's where we are yeah. now. There's growing doubt about whether the Fed can pull this off. You hear it from a number of very smart people raising those same concerns. Right. And part of that equation is if they can't pull it off, you don't know what the economic outlook's gonna look like. So it's very hard to put money on the table with that sort of opacity right in front of you. I think that's an excellent point. And you're talking to somebody who spent more than his fair share of time in a swamp, in waders with a kayak. I do an awful lot of that. Uh, so I, I know my way around a swamp here, Scott. So I'll tell you this. I think you lay it out perfectly in the following way. I cannot sit here with any confidence and tell you that Larry Summers is wrong, that the Fed doesn't have to go somewhere to four or five percent with its funds rate in order to get a hold of inflation. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I don't have some belief in what Brian Belsky is laying out to you, that over the summer sometime, these inflation numbers are going to come down. And, and let me tell you, within the inflation coming down and the Fed uh, maybe having to go to 3% or 25 or 3%, I think is a probably good, good thing for the optimistic scenario, or 5% of the pessimistic scenario, I almost never have that kind of wide range of, of views that are possible here. Uh, and, and even reasonably probable. And I just can't tell you that. And then the other side of that is if the Fed does go to 5%, if the summer's view is correct, there's almost certainly a recession. You'll remember, Scott, I began the week with our CNBC Fed survey where 57% of the people we, we asked 
think that the Fed's effort to bring inflation back down to 2 percent does result in, an, in a recession. So um, I think both of those things are possible. And the best you can do, and I think Josh Brown's kind of plea here for what I think is cool is, 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 is to be kind of, you know, uh, a little bit uh, uh, patient here. I got to wait two, three months of data to see if we can indeed put in some kind of top on the inflation numbers that all of this problem with what's happening in the Ukraine and with oil can somehow find a top and stop pushing these numbers higher and keep forcing the idea that the Fed needs to go further and further uh, and, and put an end to that. Well, what, what might help you, uh, Brian, or at least put a cap on inflation and, and demand and, and all that is destruction of wealth in the stock market, which is underway as we speak, right? That, that, and mortgage rates. That, right. Mortgage rates. I mean, there's a whole list of a, a litany of, of things that were, were uh, on my list today. Mortgage rates, highest since 09. Oil's above 110. China PMIs are weakening. German numbers are weaker. U.S. is slowing. I mean, it's not that hard, Brian, to find areas where you should legitimately be concerned, not pie in the sky talking about, oh, well, everything's great. But here, I'm just, I'm just naming you things that just sound bad. This is all legit. It's very legit, and it's not, I'm not pie in the sky. I just have faith in, in our markets. I have faith in our country. I still think we have the best companies in the world, and I think the volatility everywhere else is going to bring assets back here. But if you saw the jump in mortgage rates, that actually makes sense with what's gone on with selling the mortgage-backed securities. And it will take um, – we've already seen some of the mortgage statistics in terms of a lot more supply coming back on the market. But remember, too, we didn't have a lot of an opportunity to build up supply uh, mostly during the pandemic. So we're, we, we're playing catch up across America. But I, I just to go back to this fundamental situation because uh, the stock market is a market of stocks and the stock market is our stories. So you buy waste companies like waste management because the economy is improving. Uh, you buy Apple and Microsoft because you use their products. You buy Costco and Walmart because that's where, you're bu that's where you're shopping. You buy Delta and Marriott because we're traveling and we're living again in our society. And I think that's what we're we need to focus on in the opportunities. The market, again, has been excessively indiscriminate uh, right now. And that's why you want to be able to, to look at those ideas and, and find those relative to the high multiple names where the market was actually did a good job in terms of being discriminatory. Wait, so you just told me, so I can buy the airlines, I can buy the hotels, I can buy any travel name, I can buy tech because that's where I want to be, I can buy trash. I mean, where, where shouldn't I be? It sounds like I could be everywhere. I want to be in the financials. Financials, you said that before. You probably think I want to be there too because the you know, yields are, are rising. I said, every, I said specific names. You don't really hear that from strategists mostly, but I gave you specific names. I didn't tell you to buy every airline. I didn't tell you to buy every hotel. I told you to buy those names because those names, I think, are the best position. I'll tell you to buy Lulu, too, because we're going to continue to buy Lululemon. You have to be very precise on what you're buying. And I don't think this is the time to buy ETFs. I think this is the time to buy stocks. And this is how you're going to differentiate your, your performance in your portfolio. Oh, okay. So you, you've obviously been talking with Kathy Wood. <laughs> who thinks that, you know, passive management is crap and that this is a time when you, you need active managers. They, they always say that and then they always underperform or at least they have by and large for the last however many years. Now, now you're making the argument for Careful, active Scott. management. I would never say that. I would never say do one thing over. You have to have a balanced portfolio. Well, I you just said I wouldn't buy ETFs. ETFs. You said I wouldn't buy ETFs. I wouldn't buy 
I wouldn't buy ETFs. I would not be overweight ETFs here. I would not. I would not. I would have it. Obviously, it should be part of your portfolio in a balanced equity portion. I run ETFs at BMO. But right now, you really want <laughs> to be concentrated today, in specific names. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. I appreciate that <laughs> vote of confidence. I mean, you're uh, the one who no. sold yourself down the river. <laughs> no, I didn't sell myself down the river. I would, I would be focusing on buying individual stocks right now. That's what I would be doing. Surat, haven't heard from you in a while. Is there, are there stocks that you like here that you would say, they've come down I, enough. I, Belsky's right. Yeah. Forget the buying a whole basket of stuff. You've got to be super precise, more precise than you've been in so many years. And this name or that name is the one that I want to add or thinking about. It. I'm not going to put you on the spot and say I'd buy it today. No, no, I'll, I'll give you a stock I've been buying. It's Charter Communications. I mean, this thing's down 30%. It used to trade at 20 times cash flow. It's at 11 times cash flow today. Charter's got a moat around its business. It increases prices 2 to 3% a year. It's probably going to do that higher. And the competition that people think is going to come in is fixed wireless. And guess what? Fixed wireless guys have to go out and raise a lot of money at higher prices. You know, so you've got a, a business there that's got recurring revenue, adding, you know, uh, pricing, which people want more broadband at 500 megabits. Fixed wireless can't even do 100. Uh, and the stock's really come off and, and it's been sold off. And, you know, to your conversations and it's been all these, you know, cable ETFs and things like that. And uh, I think this is a good time to buy something like that. And, you know, hopefully I'm right. I've got conviction behind it. I got my own money, my client's money behind it. But but this is kind of where we think uh you have to find because these fallen angels and really look hard. Let's bring in um, Jim Labenthal. I think he's uh, Jim. Are you there on the phone or there? He's, there's your face. I got you, Scott. Uh, man, yep, I was. Gotcha. I had I had the gifts out yesterday of you. The market was screaming higher. I was like, this guy's got to be feeling like Tom Cruise and Top Gun. Throw the aviators on. And then and then today, it was the scene from Airplane. With the guy sniffing glue and falling all over. Um, because you must feel yeah, like you, that in the last 24 hours. And you've been the most bullish person I can, I can think of. Yeah. So, you know, you'll remember on overtime last night I came on and I, I had the aviators in my hand, but I didn't put them on. Because I, I, I sensed that this was too early. You need some confirmation. And by the way, it's been a great discussion. I've been listening to you the whole time. And whether it's the swamp analogy or a few weeks ago, it was also with Steve and Josh. And we had this discussion of if you're on a hike and you know where you want to go, you feel you're pretty good, you're going to get there. But the terrain in between may be crazy up and down, okay? Those analogies are all apt but from that what you have to take is one important thing you got to use your head and not your heart which means you've got to set a course and you've got to either stick with it as facts come in that confirm it or you got to change your course if it looks like you're going to head over a cliff now for me the facts that i am looking for to confirm that my bullishness is the right course is number one tomorrow's employment report i need to see a tick up in labor force participation rate because that's going to be a sign that the prior indications the last few weeks that inflation has peaked are, are likely to be confirmed on Wednesday when the CPI comes out. But I want to simplify this down. There's a lot of moving parts, okay? Right now, in order to not walk off a cliff, inflation has to come down. That's the fulcrum on which the market is levered either way. Inflation has to start coming down. To, uh, next week's print is expected to be 8.2%. I'd like to see that below 7% to get to be confident that I'm on the right course by being bullish. I know, but so inflation has to come down. I mean, it's, it's 
arguably just peaking. Your whole bullish thesis, Jim, is on whether inflation is going to come down. I mean, there's a difference between not going up anymore and meaningfully starting to come down. The Fed's going to do what it's going to do. And inflation, even if it does peak or has peaked and in other areas, it already has rolled over. But some of it's going to be real sticky. And maybe a good portion of it is, is, is going to be sticky. So you're you're super bullish now on something that may not really start going down for a good while. You have you have very excellently just described the course that I am on. And it is to be determined if those future events, i.e. inflation being sticky, are in fact the case or not. I need to have the facts come in and direct me as to whether I'm on the right course or not. What I will not do, and this is the strongest point I can make, is I will not be deterred from my course because the market's down today. Just like I wasn't going to get overly ebullient and, and uh, you know, jump out of my boots yesterday when the market went up so much. You have to use your head and not your heart. I've seen too many people invest because, oh, my God, the market's going down and I'm going to sell. I talk to these people all day long. They're my clients and, and they're my dear friends, too. I tell them, don't invest with your heart. Don't be an emotional investor. That is the best way to lose money. Use your head. And if the facts change then the course has to change as well. But right now, in the weeks leading up to where we are right now, there's a lot of indication that inventories are picking up. There's a lot of indi indications that the labor force participation rate has picked up. There's indications that inflation has peaked. I'm looking for it to be confirmed over the next week. I mean, yesterday I was ready to declare you maverick, and then today I had something of the inflatable <laughs> autopilot from Oosh. airplane, because it feels like we're back into uncertainty. You know, Steve, this idea that yeah. this CPI is going to save the day, um, I've heard more than one person just, you know, suggest that that could be the, the fulcrum here, that, that it maybe that's the turning point. You get a CPI and that helps everybody ease their concerns yeah. ab about where inflation is and maybe right. gives the Fed a, a shot in the arm, if you will, of cred that, OK, OK, let's let's stop going crazy here. We, we'll see if they get it right. So I watch the high-frequency data. We have a report internally here. Uh, we put it on air once in a while. Uh, I'm not seeing it yet, and I'll tell you why. We have that uh, lockdown that happened in China that's not going to help us. You have oil still reaching new heights at $110 a barrel. You still have a war in Ukraine that's going to um, affect, obviously, the devastation to the people who live there. But then it, it echoes out, ripples out from there in the sense that uh, food prices are still rising and going to work their way through the system. I still think there's several months where I'm going to sit back and say, you know what, inflation has peaked, it's coming down. There's still a lot of stuff to work through the system. So uh, I'm, I'm not ready to, to uh, ring any all clear bells when it comes to inflation. I am hoping, though, by the fall, uh, it is possible, as uh, uh, Jim was just talking about, that maybe the core PCE number or the core CPI number will show a little relief, mm -hmm. but I still think that headline is going to be screaming. Well, in other words, see, and you're very critical what you just said, by the fall, because you get June 50, we think, July 50, we think, yeah. August, they're on the beach, and then we get back to September, and then we're going to have a look maybe by then if it really has a lot of stuff or, or to work to out. Down. There's a lot of stuff to work out. We got to get the supply chain stuff working out. We got to get understand how we're going to replace the supply that's being 
uh, uh, taken off the market or otherwise redirected within the market. For, I mean, I'd have friggin' uh, Sully on this show uh, to talk about that because he's got a story to tell that's not an optimistic one about the energy outlook and natural gas. Um, and then you have a potential, a much higher potential of a recession in Europe that needs to work to understand how that works through the system. So there is a lot of fundamental uncertainty out there that makes it very difficult to make a call here. Okay, uh, let's just let's just get everybody up to date as well uh, where the markets currently stand. We've been, been chatting a lot, and you've been seeing a lot of numbers on your screen. But just to underscore it for you. 1,153 or so point decline for the Dow Jones Industrial Average right now. The NASDAQ, as I last checked, was down 666, um, which I was hoping it would move off that number by the time I had to read it. Um, Because anybody who remembers through 08, um, that was not a a good number to see. Nonetheless, NASDAQ is 12,308, 657 is the loss there. The S&P 500 down nearly 4%. 4136 and the yield on the 10 year note is 309. Got up maybe 310 and that's been a point of concern for the market today. And a different story than yesterday when yields fell, stocks rally. Today stocks plunge, yields gap up. Jonathan Krinsky has joined us now. He's the market technician at BTIG. He has told you on this program repeatedly that he thought the S&P 500 had more to go. He was looking for capitulation. I don't know if he thinks it is that today or not, but he was looking for a sub 4000 print. Mr. Krinsky, welcome. Your thoughts now. Thanks, Scott. Uh, yeah, so we have been on for a while suggesting sub-4,000 S&P and that lack of capitulation. The question I think a lot of people are asking is today that day? Um, and certainly one thing we look at is percentage of downside volume relative to overall volume on the NYSE. Um, and we've been highlighting that we have ne- not seen a 90% downside day throughout this entire correction, which is pretty rare. Um, and so we're getting that today, right? Um, the issue is it's not always a buy signal. It really depends on where in context it occurs. And if we look at the last two weeks, we've really been in a sideways trading range. So by our work, you know, this isn't necessarily exhaustive in the short term. I think you need to see probably um, something like a 20-day moving average of that downside volume tick up a little bit higher. We also have not seen that yet. Um, and then there's there's some other indicators we also look at for you know try to trying to determine market bottoms. And um, if we look back over the last 20 years, a lot of the indicators that would suggest a durable bottom really haven't been checked yet. And you know I can run through those if you like, but uh, that's kind of our, our thoughts right now. The the problem is um, the bottom hasn't been reached. Jim Labenthal. I mean, when you hear Jonathan Krinsky tick off all the reasons why we're still going lower, many of them clearly, given what his acumen is and what he does for a living, are technically based. Nonetheless, it suggests that there is more pain ahead. I think I think uh, he makes a very good uh, uh, analysis there. And it's not that I quibble with whether the bottom is in or not. What my position is, is that I don't really care what happens over the next week. And who knows, maybe it does bottom over the next week. Um, I'm looking at the fundamentals to chart my course. That's what I do. Uh, Mr. Krinsky is absolutely great at what he does. He uses another set of stars to chart his course. And I, I hope he makes a lot of money on it. I'm sure he may, hopes I make a lot of money doing what I do. What I feel very confident in is that at the moment, I'm on the right course to get to my destination. I can't tell you, Scott, or anyone else how long it's going to take to get there. I can't do that. That's not in my toolkit to do. But I can look at the fundamentals, 
and feel very good about what the market has priced in right now. So, Kritsky, how do you match up the, the fundamentals of, of the arguments that, that Mr. Labenthal makes with what you see from a technical standpoint? You know, look, I, I've had this conversation with, with many people lately. There's, there's two different things. There's the stock and there's the company, right? And, and Jim's analyzing the, the company. Yes. Uh, and what we do is analyze the stock. And, you know, the stocks are telling you that probably fundamentals might get worse, right? I mean, we don't know that, but all that we can make money on is here now and what is, what is the stock price telling us. Um, and that's ultimately, you know, how we, we frame our view. You know, I, I think a couple other things that have been coming to light of late, um, you know, sentiment, right? And there's been a lot of talk of, of how bearish sentiment is, and that's a reason to be to be bullish. But, you know, I think you have to remember sentiment's a condition, it's not a signal. And so, um, you know, just because everyone says they're bearish, I, I don't know that that means they're bearish. And that's why we really haven't seen the capitulatory action that has been consistent with market bottoms over the last 20 years. Um, I think we're getting there. I think we're finally starting to see, you know, the defensives getting hit. Uh, we're starting to see correlations rise. But, you know, even if you look at something like the VIX curve, uh, which historically has a pretty severe uh, backwardation at market bottoms, we're really flat on the VIX curve. So there's just things that, you know, I think are, are starting to happen. But, again, we're just not quite fully there yet. Yeah. I appreciate you coming to the phone. Uh, that's Jonathan Krinsky of BTIG. Let's get some stuff out of the way uh, if we could too, Pete. You do have unusual activity today. You want to tell our viewers what you see? Okay. Sure. What I'm seeing right now is in CCJ Chemical. Now, this one's interesting, Scott. We talk about this name a lot. It's fallen back down. It was trading around 25 bucks. And and it... Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I I had Steve in my... That's all right. Everybody's mics were open. That's okay. It's all good. One big happy dinner table. Okay, so... So in CCJ, we've got 30,000 of the May 30 calls getting bought. It was all in one print, Scott. So that one stood out for me very early. I'm in CCJ. I like seeing more of it, and we continue to see more of it as it's fallen back. Next, I've got a nice one for you, Altria. Now, this one, pretty interesting because this is only a couple of days. It's today and tomorrow. They're buying the 57 and a half calls. They bought 10,000 of those today, Scott, for about 10 cents. We also see something really interesting in AbbVie. It's a name that I know a lot of people, not necessarily today on the desk, but a lot of people that are on the halftime have this stock. We're also seeing the 157 and a half calls getting bought there, Scott. 28,000 of those. It's going to take a heck of a move. Stock was trading around 152, but those are fairly inexpensive options. The last one I've got for you is just a play on something that's been going on. We talked about it today already, mm. but... Kathy Wood, with, with her ARC-F, not the ARC Innovation Fund, but the FinTech Fund, um, that one's pretty interesting. It's hitting 52-week lows. Somebody who is already taking money off the table, they're selling one put and buying another one. They're actually buying the June 3rd expiring 20-and-a-half puts. They bought 15,000 of those as well, Scott. So if we think it's over for these high-multiple Kathy Wood stocks, I'm not sure we're there just yet. Yeah. Um, and Josh, I wanted to come back to you because as, as Pete was saying, AbbVie, I was thinking of what you said um, yesterday or the, or the day prior uh, about if there were any fat pitches in the market, so to speak. And biotech and, uh, and healthcare, I think, are two areas that you had mentioned. Maybe it was, you know, two days ago or, or so that you said that. Yeah, I still, I still believe that. I think you, you want to look at the hardest hit s- sectors of the market when you talk about a fat pitch. Like, What's something that you could double your money with? It's probably not going to be uh, something that's held up really well or is very defensive. But, you know, it's not just what to buy. It's when, which I always talk about 
uh, the technicals. And these are very oversold stocks, but oversold can get more oversold. So I don't know that I want to swing at that fat pitch, but I do believe you're looking at biotech growth stocks that are being thrown out with economically sensitive growth stocks, and they're not both the same thing. So there are a lot of biotech companies that don't need to raise money. They're very well capitalized, and the science is not affected by interest rates. So if you have a company that's got trials going where they are successfully doing gene therapies or shrinking tumors, um, it's not an economic story, and the stock market sell-off has created opportunity there. Um, so I, I would be looking at those names, but again, you don't want to have your head cut off, so I think you have to be biased toward big balance sheets and high quality. Yeah. Kerry, I come back to you. We have uh, about three minutes to go. Oh, gosh. Well, I think we've covered a lot of gamut. You know, we talked about how we know that we've got earnings weakness over the next couple of quarters and that and perhaps we start to look at what's coming after that will be an improvement. And remember, people should remember that March 24th of 2020 was the bottom. And that was just when we were closing down and we hadn't understood anything about COVID, that a million people would have died. I mean, it w- it, it, it's incredible that um, we had no knowledge, but the market decided it was time to start rallying. And if you waited, if you didn't buy in, and you could still be waiting, well, I guess that would be good right now, but people bought the market all the way up and the bears were there the whole time. D- despite the market rallying and looking forward to the reopening. So if, you know, if we can think through um, at, at a certain CBS. point, as John said, yeah. totally a few more CR. signs of capitulation, then I think uh, see a few more signs of capitulation. That's the point at which fear exceeds what the downside is. And we should okay. begin to... Um, to step back in. Okay. Um, let me remind you, too, coming up in overtime today, 4 o'clock, Eric Johnston's going to be back with us. Remember from Cantor Fitzgerald the other day? Said we could get an 8 to 10% rally in May alone. So we're going to find out what he thinks now. He's going to come to Post 9, sit with me there, and we'll have a, a good conversation. Mr. Belsky, um, leave us with a thought, please. I've got less than two minutes, so if you could make it brief, i still got to get to some final trades here. But it's been great having you be part of our conversation today. No, thank you so much for having us. And again, it's very, it's very humbling to see what's happening today. In, in fact, I'm heading to a client lunch after this, and I have to tell them that we're wrong still in their portfolios. But we have to have faith in terms of how we're picking out companies. And we do have a fundamental process in, dis- in discipline. And this is when you really want to double down on that discipline. So yes, we want to be more concentrated. We want to be in those names that are the best brands and the best companies. And that's why we invest how we invest. Well, you're the man for coming on and and being willing to discuss this and stand up to your call and and debate it with us. Uh, We'll see you soon. That's Brian Belsky from BMO. Uh, And I hope you had a good birthday the other day, too, uh, by the way. All right, let's do this. Let's do final trades. We we have about a minute. Let me also say thank you uh, to Steve Leisman. You heard him earlier. He was trying to tell us he had to go, which, in fact, as you can see now, he did. Pete Najarian, final trade, quick. I'm going to give you Uber. I think that the, you look through those earnings, this stock is ready to make a turn and burn. Oh, okay. Josh Brown will be happy to hear that, I think. Yeah. JB? Indeed. You have a final trade? Oh, for me? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're not forced to do anything. SHY, you've got a 30-day SEC yield on there of almost 2.5%, has just had one of its biggest falls ever. Uh, I think that this is a very safe place that you can stick around while you wait to decide what you want to do next. Okay. Uh, Surat. 
Uh, stick with my charter. I talked about it before on the show, and I think uh, you want to you hold this for a while. Okay, Carrie? Booking holding had a great quarter. It's green today. Yeah, one of the one of the few bright spots, and maybe not surprisingly, from a travel thing. Farmer Jim, I'm not going to put you on the spot with a final trade, but I'm glad to have you as well. We'll see you soon. I'll see you at four. The exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's halftime report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.